This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 32, How to Bank on Yourself, Life Insurance Policy Loans Work. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. I've been waiting all my life for this episode. It is awesome. We're going to show you guys some incredible material, but before I, uh, we all get into it, I want to introduce our uh, regular contributors and, and hosts. Katrina Willis, welcome. Hello. And Holly Bach. Hello. So when we talk to skeptics about Bank on Yourself, uh, sometimes one of the things that they really balk at is this idea of taking a loan from a life insurance company. Their life insurance policy has this feature in it, and you can go back to several of our other episodes to learn more. Uh, but you can use the policy's cash value as collateral, and uh, this is called a life insurance policy loan. So companies use this life insurance policy uh, as collateral for cash that they can lend to you. Uh, and some people love that idea. Some people, it's a brand new concept. But other people uh, who you know are maybe, maybe allergic to interest or whatever uh, are really worried about the idea of being in debt to this insurance company. Uh, so they say that life insurance loan is nothing more than a personal loan from a cash value life insurance company, right? Why would I take a loan out? If I'm trying to be debt-free, why spend, why, why go back into debt to be with an insurance company uh, as my creditor, right? So like that's no big deal. Like it's just like any other loan, like these life insurance policy loans are just, just like a credit card or a mortgage, right? So, you know, I, I, I would, I usually respond and say something like, well, it's nothing further from the truth, right? There's, couldn't be further from the truth. They're correct, right? So the skeptics are correct that this is a life insurance loan that's essentially a personal loan using your cash value as collateral from the insurance company. But that's sort of like saying uh, the Mona Lisa is nothing like um, nothing more than just maybe a bunch of paints uh, spread out over a stretched piece of canvas. So, Holly, what do you think? Is is this life insurance policy loan just like all other loans out there? No, it's not. Uh, There's actually a very specific feature in the way that these policy loans work that make it astronomically different (laughs) from any Mm -hmm. other type of loan that you would experience. And it has to do with the fact that your money continues growing even while you take that loan out because it is a collateralized loan. Um, And so if you were to have, let's just say, $100,000 of cash value inside your policy and you take a $40,000 loan against that cash value, you'll receive the $40,000 loan. So you'll get the $40,000 sent to your bank account, but then you'll still have $100,000 sitting in your cash value earning the same growth as if you hadn't borrowed a penny of it. So if your policy is designed in kind of the true bank on yourself way, way like we've discussed before, you know, <laughs> that's how it's going to function. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what other financial vehicle can give you that advantage other than life insurance policy loans? Yeah, not my credit card, that's for sure. Yeah. And only a small handful of companies can offer this valuable feature. Um, but does, you know, keeping your money anywhere else really give you the guarantees of that with a, you know, 160 history to back their guarantee. You know, you bring up a good point there, Holly, because, you know, some, I, I, at one point I thought, well, wow, there's nothing else in the financial universe that lets my money grow and I have access to it at the same time, but there is. And uh, if folks are familiar with HELOCs, HELOCs work similarly 
in that, you know, if I have a $100,000 house and I take a $40,000 HELOC against my house, my house is still appreciating in value on the full $100,000, right? It's not like I chunked out a part of my house and sold it or whatever, and I lost a bedroom or two or whatever. No, it's still earning in the marketplace at whatever the real estate market is appreciating at, even on the capital I borrowed against my house. Same works with the policy, except there are no guarantees that my house will grow every year. And certainly there's no track record of it growing on a, on a nice schedule guaranteed for the last 160 years, such as whole life insurance. Not to mention a, you know, a scheduled repayment plan wouldn't be necessary and interest that's paid to you. Uh, would eventually with a HELOC would go back to the bank. So there's some similarities, but even the HELOC falls short. Mm-hmm. Well, because, you know, what happens when your home value falls, if right. it does, you know, then you're left with your mortgage and a HELOC that even selling your home may not be able to get you out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that never happens with whole life insurance, which is guaranteed to have you uh, increase your cash value every single year. So that's just not a threat we have to worry about with these policies. The guarantees loans. are such a big deal. Yeah. I mean, if you're taking a personal loan from Uncle Joe, Thanksgiving's not going to taste so good, number <laughs> yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, he's not giving you any guarantees. Right. Yeah. So uh, as we've discussed, you have the complete control, not to mention the guarantees, you have the complete control of how and when you pay this loan back. You could take the loan out and wait two years or 20 years to pay it off. You could pay some each month or just never pay it off at all. So yeah, what happens when you let this loan balance uh, approach or even equal your policy's cash value? This is where one example where you could let the policy lapse. And essentially you'd have, if there were gains in the policy, there'd be some taxes due on that gain. So don't do that. (laughs) It's sort of like you've been given uh, plenty of warnings by the insurance company. Hopefully your advisor's been calling you. It's sort of like if you're driving straight at a tree, I guess eventually you'll hit the tree. But hopefully there were plenty of chances for you to get off that, uh, that pathway well before that happened, right? So, uh, you know, how does an insurance company, why are they willing to offer such a feature? You know, loans uh, on policies are the best kind of investment to the insurance company possible because they're self-collateralizing. Think about it. So if I loan money to, to Holly, what assurance do I have that I'll get repaid? Well, only her good word and, you know, I maybe I decide to, you know, take some something in as collateral, like, uh, you know, a stereo or something like that. <laughs> and I give it back to you when you pay off the loan, right? So, but with the insurance company, they're not needing my car as collateral. No, they've got their own life insurance policy that they've set up with me as collateral. It self-collateralizes. That means when you take the loan out from the policy, they'll use your death benefit as collateral. And of course, your death benefit's always larger than your cash value. So you can never uh, you know, be underwater in your life insurance loan or something like that. So if I have a $200,000 death benefit and yesterday, let's say I borrowed out 10 grand from the cash value portion of the policy. Let's say I took that 10 grand, walked down to the auto shop and bought a car, drove it off the lot and got hit by a Mack truck. Whoops. Then my family would get a a total of $190,000. That's the 200 grand minus the 10,000 that I borrowed out. They used that, the insurance company had used that as collateral. So these insurance companies are ready and excited to give us these loans because at well, well below market rates because essentially it lets them off the hook if I die with a loan outstanding. Uh, they'd have to shell out less to my family that way. So in my opinion, that, that's what provides the insurance company the assurance that this is a loan worth offering. So, you know, but, but this isn't just every insurance company that does this, right? There have to be some particular, not just a company, but several things, several requirements. Holly, what are some of these things that we have to make sure are right before this is set up correctly? 
Yeah, so there are actually five fundamental requirements that uh, are needed to be met in order for you to truly be banking on yourself, you know, quote unquote. Um, the very first thing that you have to have, kind of as the very foundation of this whole strategy, is a dividend paying whole life insurance policy. Okay, so only a whole life insurance policy can accomplish the things that you know, we're describing So not here. term insurance, you know, can't do it with that. Or nope. universal life, can't do it with that. Nope. Yep. If it's not whole life, you can kiss all those guarantees goodbye mm -hmm. uh, that we talked about before. Um, also, the policy must have a non-direct recognition policy loan feature. Uh, so that's kind of the technical terminology for what we're looking for um, to make sure that your money can continue grow, growing while you're using it. So if you have, if you don't have a non-direct recognition loan, then you can kiss that feature goodbye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it has to be non-direct recognition. Um, also has to uh, incorporate a flexible policy design um, so that it can accommodate, you know, life's changes and the things that might come up for you um, in the, you know, months and years as you have your policy so that, you know, you can pay a little bit less into it if you need some breathing room, some wiggle room in any given month. You want to make sure that it's flexible so that you can keep it for your whole life no matter what, you know, different financial circumstances might change. Um, you as the policy owner, should also be an honest banker. <laughs> right, so this is number four then? Yeah, yep, number right. four, uh, be an honest banker with it. And so that means if you do take a loan, you know, pay yourself back just like you would pay anyone else back. Uh, give yourself mm. the same courtesy <laughs> with that. And then uh, number five is that you really, really, really uh, need to be working with a knowledgeable advisor uh, who can be able to coach you on these things, how to use your policy throughout the years, maximize the growth, minimize your taxes. And like you mentioned, Mark, you know, earlier, that's so important is making sure your policy doesn't lapse. Um, you know, if any of you at this point have gotten online and research this a little bit and, you know, whole life insurance, you might be coming across um, a lot of different comments and critics and people uh, kind of hating on this strategy. And a lot of it comes from, you know, disgruntled people that had whole life insurance in the past and maybe didn't have the best coach or advisor that was working with them on it. And so they might be saying, oh, I, you know, my policy lapsed. I, I had this huge tax burden. All these things happened. I lost all this money. And not that those things didn't happen, that those things are possible, which is why your coach and your advisor is so important. You have the right one because you know, we're aware of those things. And so those are the very things that we know to be looking for. We can identify the red flags and we can help correct course, right. um, you know, mid midway. And so many advisors don't know the things that you can do to avoid these things. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we know we'd be able to coach you through. Um, so definitely important that you're working with someone who knows what they're doing and making sure you're not only going to not end up worse off in the long run because of it, but also use it to its fullest advantage, you know, benefit for you and your family. Yeah. You, you really can't just call up your insurance guy down the street. You know, it, it really has to be designed by the experts. Yeah. I mean, this is important because some insurance companies will penalize you for taking a policy loan. And a policy loan is a strategy we use for banking on ourselves that's so central and critical to this process working. So if the company's penalizing you for that, it just throws the whole thing out the window and it becomes very right. difficult to bank on yourself. Yeah, this last piece is really important. I mean, the Titanic didn't sink because there was some fault in the, the ship. It sunk because they didn't see that iceberg. And it was the advisor slash the captain that drove it right into the ice. So, you know, it, it, it does take skillful knowledge of reading insurance contracts, understanding the process of insurance loans and procedures. Uh, if you show this to your nephew who works down the street at the local insurance office and he says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. 
I'll ask you guys to politely back away. <laughs> Tell him that you'll see him at Thanksgiving and run. Get out of there. Uh, you know, if he says, I can do that for you, sure. Why hasn't he already done it for you? Why didn't he come to you with this strategy telling you how important it was that you incorporate this into your portfolio? Why did you have to bring it to him? That should be a red flag to you. If your insurance guy thinks thinks he can do this for you. Or he starts Googling this yeah, when you, you s- say something. You notice him uh, <laughs> flipping randomly and, and frantically through the bank on yourself book. Uh, who else do you think uh, can also vouch for him? Who's certified him to do this? I mean, I think I could win a race against Usain Bolt, the fastest man on earth, uh, but that doesn't make my thought true, right? I mean, we're all entitled to our own opinions, but not our own truth. Uh, So just because you think you can do something like a policy like this doesn't make it so. You need some sort of training certification. Hmm, if only there was one out there. Oh, wait. Pamela Yellen, she already went through this nightmare and put together a (laughs) bank-on-yourself authorized advisor training rigorous process that everyone who does this has to go through it before they can work with clients. So if you are working with an insurance agent, you know, ask them, are you bank-on-yourself authorized? Um, and if they say no, then again, back away. <laughs> or if you if they say yes and you want to double check, call us and we can look them up. Yeah. You know, we've got uh, a private directory of these advisors, right? So yeah, bank on yourself policy must have that non-direct policy loan feature. That was one of the five requirements that Holly mentioned earlier. And I want to take a quick minute to just dive into that a little bit. We'd promised you this episode. So here we are. Uh, we want to really break this down. So um, I'm going to read through some things here and talk to you guys about this. But this is how it works. It's very simple. With a non-direct recognition policy loan, the insurance company simply doesn't recognize that you took out a policy loan. So when they dole out dividends at the end of the year, they don't notice or calculate the fact that you do also have a loan against your policy. If you don't have a non-direct recognition loan, they'll pay you a smaller dividend, a different dividend on that portion of the cash value that you borrowed against, or none at all, oftentimes. Uh, with the non-direct loan uh, recognition loan, the insurance company will credit you that same exact dividend even when you've taken a loan against your policy. That lets you use the money and still have it in your policy growing for you as if you never touched it. That's straight out of the Bank on Yourself Revolution book. Look at page 256 if you're not driving down the street. Uh, so when you take a policy loan, the money doesn't actually come from your policy. It comes out of the company's general fund. So they get this big pool of money that they can use for anything, any kind of fixed income asset or investment or whatever else the insurance company is going to go out and get yield on. And your policy's cash value and death benefit are used as collateral, like we mentioned earlier. As you pay back a loan, it works the same way in the opposite direction. The payments don't go back to your policy. Those loan repayments go right back into the company's general fund or the insurance company's pool of money. Uh, The company applies your payments of principal to reduce your loan balance. And then at the end of each year, that company can calculate their income from all different sources, all right? So their high-rises they're building, the, the bond portfolio, the uh, you know, long-term held-to-maturity corporate bonds that they have, the, the policy loans. And by the way, a major source of profit is term insurance for life insurance companies. Uh, they're able to calculate all that income, calculate the company's operating expenses, keeping the lights on at the, at the home office, that sort of thing, and of course, any death claims they paid out. And if their yield is better, then their worst case scenario, uh, then they pay out profits to all policyholders. That's you and me, right? So you end up getting the benefit of that loan interest that you paid through the combination of guaranteed annual increases in your policy, plus a bunch of dividends that the company would have paid out. So that means that both the principal and the interest you pay 
can ultimately end up in your bank on yourself policy for you to use again for a car, for a vacation, for business equipment, for college education, for retirement, for whatever you want. Sweet. So this is like a super important point to really drive home. And again, you're not taught this in the typical, you know, insurance agency. You're not taught this when you get your state license. You're certainly not taught this in your CFP. I wasn't and certainly not taught this, especially when you're just doing Wall Street, you know, uh, run amok with stocks, bonds and mutual funds. This is an important point for folks who are allergic to paying interest, right? If I own a mortgage, this is a great, uh, I think, parallel here. So if I own a mortgage company, let's say I own a bank, a mortgage company, and let's say I finance my own house with that mortgage company. Okay, so I take out a mortgage with my own company that I own. Where does the interest for my mortgage ultimately end up? Remember, I'm the owner of that mortgage company, so that interest ends up back in my pocket as profits. If I own a mortgage company and I need to finance my house, why would I bank down the street? It doesn't make any sense, right? So give us another example on this, Holly. Let's literally clear, clear the air on this. Yeah, and so you know, let's just say that your policy was projected to have $400,000 of cash value in year 25. Okay, so you pay into it faithfully, dutifully for 25 years, and your cash value uh, should be 400000 by the end of it. And then let's just say that you decide to borrow uh, $30,000 in your fifth year, and you buy a car. Then you pay it back at the interest rate that the company charges over the next five years. So take a five-year auto loan out of sorts, and then you repeat that cycle three more times. So you'll have bought three different three $30,000 cars, paid them back every five years. And at the end of the 25 years, your cash value would still be the same, $400,000, the same as if you hadn't used it to finance anything at all. Wow. So you got the cars and you still got the $400,000. So if your money is going to grow the same, it's going to be the same, you're going to have the same end result, whether you use it or not. Why not use it? Why? Did, how much did those cars really cost you, right? I mean, so who benefited from that interest? I mean, so yes, life insurance companies charge an interest on policy loans, but where did that interest ultimately end up? If you if you co-own that insurance company, it goes right back to you, right? Along with all the other policyholders. Let's do another kind of case study. This one's a lot of fun. So Holly, if you'll allow me to role play with you on this, uh, let's talk through how the money flows in one of these policy loans, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's pretend that maybe you wanna buy a car. Uh, Sticker price is 10,000 bucks. All right, so how do you buy it? What are some options? Well, I could get a traditional auto loan, traditional car loan like we've talked about, and I would be stuck with a fixed, you know, inflexible payment and mm-hmm. I would be, you know, paying interest, you know, portion of that payment I'd be making each and every month is going to be going towards interest and profits to the bank. So that's not very fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so as far as other options, well, I could also pay cash, right? So I could take the same $10,000 out of my savings account, drain my savings and just give them the cash. But now that $10,000 is gone and you know, everything I could ever earn on that money is gone. Right. And how much interest now are you earning on money you withdrew from the bank? None. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So uh, not awesome, I guess, but correct, I should say. (laughs) So good news. Good news. You have a third option. You could use your bank on yourself policy to make the purchase. So let's say, Holly, you have 10,000 in cash value and let's say a $200,000 death benefit. All right. So to purchase that car, it's a simple request to the loan from the life insurance company. 
and the money comes out of your policy, not from your policy actually, but from the general fund of the insurance company. So that cash value that you have, the $10,000 of cash value that you have is collateralized. Think of it sort of like frozen, right? You've, you've locked it up, you've made it illiquid because you've ax- asked for it from the general fund of the insurance company and the cash value is still in there. You know, it's, it's not like you left the money, uh, drained the cash value out, it's still in there and growing for you, right? Mm-hmm. So the cash value, the cash loan comes from the general fund or the pool and you get your cash in about three to five business days and you get that money and you go walk into the you know car lot and you buy your car. Simple enough. Okay, but I have to pay that loan off, right? Yes. Now you have a choice. You can never repay the loan, right? But who does that help? Well, you know, at least you got the growth on the money, but you don't want to just get the growth. You want the money too, right? You want your cake and you want to eat it too. Why have cake if you can't eat it? (laughs) So put the money back into the uh, policy loan and that frees the dollars up to be spent on the next car. The insurance company does charge some interest on that loan. Let's talk about that for a minute. So let's say that's 5%. Uh, That's a 5% loan on the money that you borrowed out. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean they're going to charge me interest to borrow my money? Ooh, yeah. That's a big one I hear from a lot of folks. So remember, who are they? Well, they are us. Sorry for the bad grammar there, but you know, this is a mutual life insurance company. That insurance company was going to put that cash out there into the world seeking yield, some sort of bond or something to get some yield on that money to help support all of our profits and dividends that you and I both own together. So since, you know, you asked for it instead, that was your money. And since you have the first rights to your money in that cash value, uh, they're going to charge an interest on the policy loan. That was going to be interest they'd have pulled from some bond out there. So I love the loan feature. And I love that I get charged loan interest because when I am not being charged interest, that means all the other loans that are outstanding on the company's ledger is profit to me and you, right? So um, let's talk about the 5%. That's 5% simple interest compounded annually in arrears. That's a mouthful. 5% simple interest compounded annually in arrears. Yes. That should be a wrap that we put put out there on YouTube. Oh, no. So this is the best kind of interest. Holly, if you needed a credit card, let's say you were applying for a credit card, and on the application you had a choice to either be charged simple interest or compound interest, what would be the better deal for you? Simple. Perfect. Why is that? Well, because when you have a simple interest loan, your payment is going to be going towards paying your principal off first rather than splitting a portion of it. And actually in the beginning years, the majority of it going to pay your interest first. Mm, Um, We're going to, you know, the simple loan flips it a little bit where you're paying your principal off first. So that principal balance is coming down, down, down. And your interest that you're paying that's being calculated over that time is being calculated based upon that principle that's being decreased at a much faster rate. Mm, Cool. I wish our mortgages worked this way. I wish our student loans worked this way, right? So Holly, let's imagine that you repay your, you know, simple interest loan at 250 bucks a month, which is of course a choice you would make, your terms. Uh, And that would essentially have your loan paid off in about four years. So over four years, the APR, the annual percentage rate on this loan would not actually be 5%, but it would be 1.9%. 1.9% is the true interest on this loan because of, the, of it being simple interest. 5% isn't always 5%. So that 1.9% APR would mean essentially you'd have paid about $764 of loan interest over a four-year period. So now, Holly, why in the world would you willingly pay 764 extra dollars for that car? You could have just paid cash for the car and been done with it, right? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Why would I ever do that? Interest is bad. <laughs> Debt is evil. Debt is always bad. So remember, your cash value was growing over those four years at the same time. Remember? Uh, and that's compound oh, yeah. growth. Yeah, I know you know. So uh, <laughs> at the same time as your loan was out, you were also getting compound growth. All right. So Holly, if you walked into a bank and opened up a savings account, and on the application for this new savings account you wanted, you again, you had the choice, simple interest or compound interest on this savings account, which one would be the better deal for you? I would want compound. Yay, awesome, exactly. That's, why is that? Why is it better to get compound on the savings? Well, because in that example, I'm the one that would be receiving kind of the, the interest in this scenario. So when you're receiving the interest, of course you want it to be compound. Yeah. And so I'm going to want that, you know, whatever that amount is, I want that being added onto my balance, you know, at a consistent basis. And I want a new interest amount being paid each and every year by based on what's growing, grown to. Beautiful. Great. Yes. Uh, so we want that growth. Uh, go back to the episode on interest, our toolbox episode on interest for more on that. Uh, but now these policies have historically performed over the last 50 years with all the interest and dividends that are factored in, also reduced by insurance expenses and commission costs and everything. Bottom line results at the end of the day, over the last 50 years or so, we've seen about a 5.5% interest internal rate of return on the policies that we see. It can be as low as 3% or as high as 7%, but that's about the average. Let's calculate what growth you got. All right, so let's see. What's 5.5% of $10,000? Well, that's about 550 bucks, right, in the first year. And that's over a four-year period, which is compounding. So your cash value uh, when you requested the loan was 10 grand in over four years, assuming you didn't make any more premium payments or anything else, just keeping the numbers simple, you had about $2,421 in gains. Okay, so let's summarize this real quick. You paid $764 of loan interest, and at the same time, you got $2,421 of gains, and you got the car. If you were going to buy that car anyway, is this method of banking on yourself, Holly, is it better or worse than just paying cash for things? Well, it'd be better. In this example, I'm, I'm positive <laughs> here. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think I'd want to do that. Nice. <laughs> Perfect. And don't you wish more people knew about this? I mean, you know, imagine the suffering that you could cut just by engaging the strategy, people actually making a profit on buying a car, for example. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what about using the policy as an income stream in retirement? Yeah, cars are nice. I mean, a $10,000 car, you got a little bit of arbitrage there. But Holly, what about 20, 30 years of income in retirement? Mm -hmm. And so wanted to go over a quick case study with you guys as far as what income in retirement could look like and how that income can be affected by whether your you know, policy is direct or non-direct. You know, we talked about the direct and non-direct recognition and the importance of it being non-direct recognition. And so actually we had put together an example of this for a client. Uh, we had a client that was trying to decide between a company that was offering non-direct recognition loans and one that was just uh, direct recognition. And so we actually just ran the numbers, you know, just to put it into real dollars for them as to what the difference might be. And actually, it, it even kind of surprised us. You know, we knew there was going to be a difference, but the extent of it was was perhaps even more than what we were expecting. Um, and so the way that, you know, the numbers worked out, this client was going to have about $1.9 million um, in, you know, each of these two policies uh, by their age 65 when they were looking to retire. So almost 
$2 million is what it was going to grow to in both of these examples. They had the exact same you know, growth rate dividend, identical interest rates on the policy loans. Uh, but then you know, the only difference is when we start taking that income using the loan feature on the policies, uh, their withdrawal rate was about $120,000 a year, uh, which nice. is actually a pretty nice 6.3% withdrawal rate, yep. uh, which is more than you'll get from any you know, brokerage account or uh, stock market account. Mm. Um, but anyway, so with that, they were taking $120,000 a year and with one being direct, one non-direct. And the non, what we found is the, the, the direct recognition company policy example actually quickly drained the cash and they were out of money by age 80. So just in matter of a couple of years, poof, wow. all the money was gone. So what is that? Yeah, 15 years? 15 years. Good yep. night. Wow. Um, meanwhile, with the non-direct recognition policy, that same income, taking the same amount from each, the same $120,000, lasted to age 93. Wow. That's a big deal. And really the only difference here is the fact that the money keeps growing and it's that non-direct versus direct recognition. So, you know, imagine that in, you know, this kind of makes sense though at the same time, you know, imagine with the non-direct recognition company, though you're continuing to earn interest and dividends on the full 1.9 million over those decades and decades of retirement, and it ends up having a tremendous impact on the longevity of your money in the long run. Um, and so that actually meant that in this particular example, this individual was able to pull an additional one point $3 million in income just due to, you know, the treatment of that loan. Wow. So it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big number. Well, and so again, back to banking uh, and back to how banks use the money in more than one way at once. Uh, I think it's important to keep that in mind as we look at this very opaque, very vague, uh, you know, sort of weird vocabulary, non-direct. What does that mean? You know, record, all this uh, vocabulary that you know, really doesn't need to be remembered or even kept in our clients' minds. It's all about the contract. It's all about what your policy was saying when you set it up. And did the advisor know what he or she was doing when he set it up? Uh, one of our colleagues, John McCarthy, uh, is. I, I have this quote from him. He says, ignore what banks tell you to do with your money and instead watch what they do with their own money. Ignore what banks tell you to do with your money and instead watch what they do with their own money. So how many banks out there have life insurance? <laughs> this was a fascinating study and we don't have time to get too deep into it, but I'm curious, I mean, is it what, maybe a couple, you know, 20 or 30 bucks maybe in Yeah, in just cash, a little you know? bit. They just, they just have a little bit <laughs> in know. there. Um, so there's actually, you know, something out there called BOLI, which is bank-owned life insurance. I mean, it's so common. It has its own name. It has its yeah. own acronym. Google it. Yeah, Google um, it if you want to learn more about that. that. It's, it's no, well, maybe people don't know about it, but it's not a secret that banks are actually keeping a significant portion of their own money in life insurance contracts uh, to the tune of $161 billion. Billion. <laughs> billion dollars with a B. Um, and, and that was as of December in 2016. And that was actually an increase of 3.6% uh, from the previous year where it was $156 billion. So they're gobbling up life insurance as much as they, as fast as they can mm -hmm. for their tier one assets yep. to and save I mean, money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that was 2015 to 2016. And then of course, you know, some updated numbers will come out mm -hmm. here and we're just going to see it keep going up. Um, so that's, you know, f what banks are doing with their money. They're buying life insurance. And so if we're watching what they're doing and we want to mimic it, well, maybe life insurance is something we should be looking at as well. 
I wonder what Dave Ramsey would say if he was here in the room, you know. Um, so fascinating stuff. What about any final thoughts, Katrina? The only thing better than being debt-free is to become the banker. Um, a life insurance loan is the only financial vehicle I know of that provides uninterrupted growth of your money while you use it. And if you're using it as collateral in a life insurance policy with a non-direct recognition policy loan feature, the sky's the limit. You are home free. So, you know, it does take a little while to learn. It does take a little while to set up. But once you set it up, it changes your family tree. Changes everything. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, everyone, for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.